Bloomer Baptist Church. I'm excited to be able to dig into God's Word together with you. And as we start, let me just read these words from the Apostles' Creed that we just got done singing. And it says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, which is where we left off last week. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Or maybe some of you, amen. 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 What great words we have here today to be able to focus us on some of the beliefs that we claim, that we proclaim, or that we should. And we continue today in this creed series that we've been in, I believe today's the 10th week. And it might seem a little bit longer just because we've had some breaks in between for special holidays, special days. But today, I believe, is week 10 of the Creed series, and we're going to be focusing on one statement. And that one statement is this. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now, one thing I really want you guys to see today is this. In life, there's many things you come to expect to come to enter into your life. There's many things that will enter into your life, but there's one thing that we often forget, and we should not. We should look forward to it with great anticipation, and that is that he too shall come. He too shall come. And as we think about he too shall come, I'm getting all lost in my slides today. He too shall come. We think about this verse, Matthew 24, 44. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He too shall come. And with that statement, there's great meaning. There's great context. We'll get more into that in a moment. But with this coming will be the start of events unlike anything that mankind has ever experienced. Tribulations, judgments, amazing feats, and amazing feasts. With the previous nine weeks, we've talked in the past tense. We've talked about what's already happened. We've also talked about the present tense of what's happening now. But now we start to look towards the future. We start to look forward to the end of the story. And you see, there's nothing wrong with looking to the end of the story. All stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the end is just as important as the beginning or the middle. We need it all. So many stories that we look to as children, they start up out as once upon a time. But what good would that once upon a time be if we didn't also have the ending? In this case, it's normally they lived happily ever after. And there is a happily ever after with God's story as well, but there's a lot of stuff in between that sometimes we like to skip over, but we need it all. So whether it be a good book or a movie, we all look forward to the end of the story. And this ending, it really matters. You see, it's the ending which kind of sums up or helps to wrap things up, helps to, to give us that feeling of accomplishment, of knowing what all of it meant. Now, to, to go away from this illustration for just a moment, I give you one example of a puzzle and a puzzle piece. 
it's terrible to spend all this time putting together a puzzle, and then it's happened to me. You get to the very end, and you realize you're missing one piece of the puzzle. And it's the same thing to be missing the end of the story. You don't get to see how it's all wrapped up. You don't get to see that conclusion. You don't get to see what it all meant, what it came together to be. For instance, I'll give you a movie example and a book example, something that I read this week. For instance, Star Wars and the Return of the Jedi. We'll go way back there so that a lot more of you have a chance of knowing what I'm talking about. We learn at the end of the movie that the trilogy was about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. Now, I won't ruin the, the ending if you haven't seen it yet, but you can just watch it and try and see that point. In Return of the Jedi, the ending helps you to see that the whole point of the trilogy or the whole Oh, the whole story was coming up to this point in the very end of Anakin Skywalker being redeemed, coming back from the dead, coming back from the dark side to do something good. Another example I told you would be from a book, that would be C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. At the end of this story, you may find that it wasn't just about three English children in a magical world getting to spend time with animals that could talk. No, at the end of the story, we see that it's about Aslan, Aslan, bringing liberation to Narnia and setting humanity as regents over it. There's a lot more to the story than what we sometimes see. And a lot of that's because maybe we skip around too much. Maybe it's because we, we start at the beginning, then we go straight to the end. Well, we do need the middle, too. Or maybe it's because we try to skip right to the end. And we don't see the beginning to see the setup and to, to see the introduction and to see who people are and what their character is like. But then we need the ending. We need the middle. We need the beginning. We need it all. And as we look to the end of our own stories, we expect a lot of things to happen. We expect happiness. We expect joy. But we also expect in our life story, sorrow times of depressing thoughts, times of anger, times of pain. But then we also have life, we have new life that comes into our lives, new lives of babies, great blessings. But then we have death, we have crying, we have tears of sadness, but don't lose sight that we also have tears of joy, tears of greatness. In Ecclesiastes 3 it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. And in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, we're told that there is nothing new under the sun. But with all things we expect that we go through in life, all things we go through in life, we often lose sight on that one thing. We lose sight on the one thing that probably matters most of our life, in our life, and that's the ending that God tells us about. That's the inescapable return of Christ. You see, with the second coming of Christ, we see the end of God's story. We've talked about the end of the story of movies, the end of the story of books. We've talked about the end of our story, where here's the end of God's story, which involves us. It's a story where God brings his justice and peace to earth in the healing of the pain of the world by uniting himself with creation through the Son. Matthew 25, 44 again, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. That's what we're talking about today. When we say, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. He too 
shall come. He too shall come. There's many things that come into your world. But do not forget that he too shall come. We must be ready in case he comes before we're expecting. We must be ready in case he comes before we're ready. We must always be looking to the future. Are you ready? Are your friends ready? Are your family ready? What are you doing to make sure you're ready? For all these things we talk about that will come into your life, you often try to prepare for them. Or at least once you realize they're coming into your life, maybe it's bad health and you start exercising, you start eating right. Maybe it's a newborn a birth coming into your life and you start purchasing the things you need. You start reading books about how to be a mother. There's things you do to prepare for that. How are we preparing for this? You must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You see, everyone has a vision for the future. And everyone lives in light of that vision. But your vision must see that there is an ending to our stories. And that ending involves a great story that God's already written in front of you to know. We should be preparing. This creedal statement that we read today consists of two complementary truths. One, Jesus is coming again. And notice that Jesus is coming again. There's no doubt amongst Christians, no matter what denomination you are, no matter what your belief is regarding these end-time thoughts, all of us believe Jesus is coming. Jesus will come. And then number two is this. Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We have three things here to talk about, to discuss. One is the judge. Two is the judgment. And three is the judged. Now, this should be pretty easy to understand, but let me define those things for you. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge we, therefore, we humans, are the judged, and the judgments are real, they are powerful, they are inescapable, they will happen. So we are the judge, ever, the judge ever since Adam and Eve allowed sin to come into the world, it's been inherited to us with each day, each life, each birth. Romans 3.10 says that none is righteous, no, not one. And let me have news for you, none of us are perfect. Not one. We all make mistakes. The bad thing is we often like to keep pushing ourselves down, allowing that mistake to bury a hole for us deeper and deeper and deeper. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who's made a mistake. And God's already forgiven them. They've asked for forgiveness. They've asked for help to get out of that hole. But we continue to dig the hole deeper for them and say, you're not worthy to get out. But God gives us a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Whether good or evil. You see, we're all accountable to somebody. And a lot of times in life we think we're accountable to that friend, we're accountable to that wife, we're accountable to our families. And that may all be true, but ultimately who we're accountable to most is Christ. Are you ready? We may fear the judgment of God because we expect to be punished of our sins. But the ultimate thing we need to remember is if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you look to him, Jesus has already completed the punishment on your behalf. Jesus' work on the cross 
is the punishment for us. Jesus has already been judged on our behalf, but he will come to judge those who have not accepted it. The judge of all the world then is Jesus Christ, the God-man, the one who is born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, the one who bears the marks of the nails in his hands and the scars of the prickling thorns on his brow, the one who now sits exalted on heaven's throne at the right hand of God, the one who came to give his life to save the world. He did this all so that we, the judged, might have life. So that when he looks to us to judge us, we can be on the ones on the right, the ones set apart. He too shall come. And the New Testament tells us there are over 300 verses which refer to the second coming of Christ. This means that one of every 13 verses deals with some aspect of the Lord's return to the earth. It's so central to the New Testament that Christians everywhere believe in it. Yes. We often argue, we often debate, what does this mean, what does that mean, when will he come? At what point in the future, in this ending story, does he come? But there's not much disagreement with the fact that he will come. Christ himself will return to the earth someday. And Jesus said in John 14, 3, that he is going to prepare a place for us. There are many rooms reserved, and goes on to say in that, I will come again. I will come again. His coming, his second coming, will be personal. It will be personal. It will be Jesus and not some, not some substitute. It will be literal, not a vision, not a dream. It will be visible. Every eye will see him. It will be sudden, not a gradual return, but it will be sudden and it will be unexpected, like a thief in the night. And I believe all of these to be supported through Scripture. Acts 1.11 gives us one, where it says, This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The same Jesus who left will one day return, and he will return the same way that he left, with clouds. Jesus is coming back, and I believe he's coming back personally, literally, visibly, sudden, and unexpected in Luke 24, 50 to 52, it informs us further that as Jesus reached out his hands to bless his disciples, he began to rise from the face of the earth. Evidently, without any warning whatsoever, he simply vanished. He simply vanished. We see that numerous other times in the Gospels, too, where Jesus simply vanished. We can assume that his return will be like such. It will be immediate. It will be sudden. And it will be unexpected. And we must be prepared. The next scripture speaks about the judge, the judgment, and the judge. And this is a little bit longer of scripture, so I don't know that I'll have much time to talk about a lot. But I do think that the scripture is quite explainable on its own. So Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31, that you should be open to. Please follow along with me. Matthew 25, verse 31. Read this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Notice that first word, when. Not if, but when. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. This will be an earthly reign. And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another. as The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. Visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. The things I think about as I read this verse is that we are not of this world. As believers in Christ, as followers after him, we are set apart. We have a destiny and a purpose of these new rooms that Christ is preparing for us up in heaven. To be by his side for all of eternity. And as I read these verses, I think about that set apart. You see, Jesus notices these people. He notices who he says will inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. As he says a statement before, come you who are blessed by my father. It's a blessing to have this restored relationship with, father, with the father through Christ. But as we have this restored relationship, there should be evidence for our faith. I think that's what he's talking about here. There's evidence for being blessed by the Father. There's evidence of having the Spirit in our life. There's evidence by having this newfound life, this newfound hope, this newfound purpose and joy. We should be doing these things. Now, these are just examples. It goes on. We can define what it means. But we should be different. We should be set apart because here's the other side of it. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, some of us are waiting to administer the goodness of God's word. Some of us are waiting to administer goodness to God's people, to administer love to people who maybe we think don't deserve it. Maybe we're saying, well, if Jesus appeared in front of me, I would change my life. If Jesus appeared in front of me, if I knew he was watching me, I'd be treating that person that I work with differently. I'd be treating that family member who maybe I don't like because of how they've treated me in the past. Well, I'd treat him differently if Jesus was right here. Oh, I'd treat him differently if that... If he had the face of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus. But we're not called to wait. We're not called to only treat him with the goodness of God, with the love of God, if they deserve it. No, we look to our own lives. We see the example that Christ sacrificed himself for us, yet while we were still sinners. He gave us life. He gave us his body broken, his blood spilt so that we could have life, yet when we did not deserve it. We're not called to pick and choose who we give life to, who we give love to. We're called to love God 
and love all his people as we also would want to be loved, as we would want to be treated. Love God, love others. How are you living? Are you ready? Because as I said, he too shall come, and we do so many things to prepare for the things that will happen to us. But this too will happen to us. And if we have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we do not have to fear punishment when he comes again to judge the world. But there should be a difference in us. There should be evidence for our faith. There should be evidence for what we have. The evidence should be a joy of the knowledge of his love that we want to share with all people. We should be seen as set apart. And too often people see us and they don't even realize that we know Jesus. You, you will stand before him, united in Christ. You have been declared justified through him. But do people know that you're justified through him? Maybe you need to tell them this. You see, all of us will appear before God. All of us will be seen in the great book. But as they look to our A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's of life, where we just flunked in certain scenarios, just flunked at certain times, Maybe we didn't treat somebody as we should. Maybe we sinned and we gave into lustful thoughts, gave into a drink too much and came into drunkenness. Maybe we didn't treat our wives, our husbands, our kids in a God-glorifying way. But you know what? At that time, God will see Jesus' blood, Jesus' life stamped upon us, and we'll be seen as his. In 2 Peter 3, 3-10, he says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. I'm sorry. But everyone to come to repentance. But the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will come like a thief. You don't know when the thieves come. It sneaks in. The heavens will disappear with a war. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. We must keep this in mind with how we live today with how we live every single day. How you live today just might determine how you live in the end of days. How you live today just might determine how you live in the end of days. How you will live in your forever tomorrows. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into every heart, inside every heart. We are made to know God. We are made to know this eternity with God. And every single soul desires to find this hope, desires to find this eternity. Unfortunately, in this world, there's over 2,000 different religions that people practice. And in these religions, they seek different ways to obtain this eternal happiness, to, to different ways to achieve this forever eternity filled with life and love and joy. But knowing that he shall come, Jesus shall come, should change the way we live our todays and tomorrows. Knowing that he shall come, Jesus shall come, should change the way that we live our todays and our tomorrows. The coming of the Lord will happen. What are you doing to prepare for it? What are you doing to be ready? The second coming will usher in a day of judgment, water, destruction, judgment, fire. Just as God destroyed the world once with water, the next time he destroys it with fire. For the ungodly, the second coming of Christ will be bad news indeed. But for now, the second coming is delayed, giving people a chance to come to Christ, 
You see, some people, they want to complain or they want to doubt God's coming, Jesus' is coming, because it, that hasn't happened yet. We all know there's people that have been standing on the street corner for 2,000 years saying, He is coming soon. And then people doubt it. Well, he hasn't come yet, so he's probably not coming at all. No, we do know he shall come. And we shouldn't see this as a bad thing. We should see this as a great gift that we all have more time. We all have more time for ourselves. We all have more time for our friends, for our families, for our neighbor, neighbors, for the nations. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He does not enjoy sending people to hell. He wants to see all to have life. In fact, as one pastor said, contrary to popular opinion, he is not some crazed old man in a white beard laughing while he hurls lightning bolts to the earth. For 2,000 years, he has held back the final judgment to give the earth a gift, and that gift is eternal life with him. We need to read God's story for the future. Accept it and live it. How we act in the present is greatly impacted by what we think of the future. We all have visions for 2020. And that vision for 2020 might change how you live this day as you look to your goal. Well, we can look to the vision that God has for the future, for the end of the story, and it too should change our life. So now, how, what does all this mean for me? I've got three things for you. What does all this mean for you? Take notes here. I don't have slides for it, but number one, is first, we have a mission to evangelize the world. We have a mission, as we know he too shall come. With the news of the impending return of Jesus to the world, we should announce the good news for all to hear. Second, number two, we're called to look forward to the day of Christ's return. We endure and persevere until that day where he returns. We know there will be trials. We know there will be struggles. We know there will be pain. There will be disease. There will be illness. But we also know that we can endure all things. We can persevere all things through the strength of Christ, through the strength of his word that gives us the wisdom we need and the comfort we need to live every day. Third, number three, be encouragers. Be encouragers. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, after detailing the events to come at Christ's return, Paul immediately told his, his listeners and instructed them to instruct others and encourage others with the good news that they have for a future. Paul tells them to instruct and encourage others with the good news of what's to come. Hebrews 10.24-25 says, And let us... Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, we can look forward with each day, and we can keep our heads down, we can keep our heads focused on all the trouble we're in, on all the struggles to come, or we can keep our heads lifted high and looking forward to the day that will come, with great anticipation, with great encouragement, with great joy of knowing that we're set apart from this world. We're not of this world. Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven by the Father and his side where we for all of eternity will be worshiping him and having a feast together in the end times. Let me read to you an excerpt from a book that lately has just been a powerful thing to me, and I've already read this to some of you. In fact, 
This really should have been read last week with the Lord's Supper, or maybe I could have saved it for next month, but this is just such a powerful illustration to me that I wanted to share it with all of you today. So as we work to close here, let me read this. It says this, I have to confess, I'm sorry, this is um, a book by Michael Bird, and it says this, Michael Bird says this, I have to confess that I most feel the sense of anticipation of Christ's return when I share in the Lord's Supper. I've always found this of interest, that Paul concludes his description of Lord's Supper with the words, until he comes. Or read in full out of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. For me, the Lord's Supper is really the hors d'oeuvres for the messianic banquet. The Lord's Supper reminds me that no matter how hard a week I've had, that there is a feast waiting for me. And I've only had a small taste of the good things still to come. He goes on to say, According to Isaiah, the new creation will be like the Gentiles flocking to a holy mountain to come and banquet with God. Isaiah 25, 6-8. Jesus said that in the kingdom of heaven, many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Matthew 8, 11. And John's vision of the wedding supper of, lamb, of the Lamb is arguably the richest of them all. Revelations 19, 9. Now, get this, his own kind of understanding or thinking about this, and it's a bit joking, but it does make us think. He says, I take great pleasure in imagining what the wedding supper will be like. I can imagine Southern Baptists making the fried chicken, Aussie Anglicans grilling up some shrimp, maybe some Korean Presbyterians making barbecue, Methodist Mexicans preparing fish tacos, and French Pentecostals baking the pastries. That's what I imagine. But lest we get too lawfully minded, we need to remember that we are not there yet. When we break the bread of communion, we're reminded of Jesus' body broken for us, and we reinscribe our hearts with the hope for his bodily return. But in the interim, we are called to imitate the one whom we anticipate, and to remain ever watchful for the dawn that will one day break upon us. We may hope for many things in the future, like getting a driver's license, going to college, graduation, marriage, children, or retirement, yet our deepest longings should be for the return of the bridegroom to take us, his bride, into his home. For where our deepest longings are, there our heart is also. He too shall come. He too shall come. How are we preparing for this return? We prepare in many different ways for the things that come upon us in life. We make adjustments to our life. Maybe there's, a, there's some adjustments in your life that you, meet, you need to make today to be able to prepare for the fact that he too shall come to judge. As we get to this close, I just have this thought. You see, we ought to face the future with optimism. The world looks at all the problems and says, is there any hope? For the, but for those who know Christ, we know there is an enormous amount of hope. If he comes today, we, we win. If he comes in 50 years, we win. If he comes in 1,000 years, we still win. And he too shall still come. Let me close in prayer and we'll have one final song. And you'll be dismissed to Sunday school. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the fact that you 
will send your son Jesus back for us. Now that means there will be a day of judgment and we must be prepared. May we evaluate our lives every day and think about, are we prepared? Are we ready? Are we honoring, glorifying God with our life? Are we making rightful choices based off your word? Do we think of the fact that he too shall come? He shall come as a great glorious thing. A thing which brings hope and purpose to our lives. It's the end of the story for our lives here on earth, but it delivers a new story of eternal life with him. Do we look forward to these things with hope and with joy? Or maybe we're looking to this thing hoping we had more time. If that's the case, we need to make changes today. Commit our lives to Christ today and recognize he is the great Savior, the great Lord that we need. And may we follow after him with every day for all of eternity. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.